Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's Most Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. It's Wheeler Dealer Radio, and do we have a game to talk to you about today? I am joined by my two regular co-hosts, but before we get to that, uh, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at WDR Podcast, that's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio, where you can find all of our great tweets about how much we love Stephen Bergvine, and leave us a five-star review on iTunes. You don't even have to talk about us, you can just talk about how much you love uh, Stephen Bergvine. Also... You can leave them on Spotify now. But we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about Tottenham Hotspur making us feel good again, leading us off, you know, riding, chasing this dragon in Atlanta. It is Ben Daniels. Ben, what was better, this or Georgia's National Championship? Boy, it's pretty close. Um, I mean, the National Championship was better. But <laughs> this was very good. I mean, this is easily the happiest Spurs have made me since Amsterdam. Maybe the last time we played Leicester and beat them late, but. Yeah, that feel like when you say that, it feels ridiculous because like we've beaten, we've had some good victories since Amsterdam, but like the more you think about it, like, you know, Mourinho is around for a lot of them. Like, I mean, this was pretty good. (laughs) Just nothing beats the catharsis of a late winner. Like from despair to joy is just, it's unbeatable. (laughs) How about a late winner and a late equalizer all at once? Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, Amsterdam all over again. Yeah. Uh, next up, coming to us uh, from the slopes of Miami, it's Brian Ashlock. Brian, how did you celebrate today's victory? Um, you know, uh, the usual. Um, just a uh, visit to... I mean, I don't need to go into it. You guys know. Uh, but, uh, yeah. And uh, and then I, I made a nice dinner. I uh, made some uh, French onion gnocchi. Ganaki. Who knows how that Ganaki. word is said. <laughs> I think Antonio Conte would pronounce it ganaki. I think that's the official <laughs> Italian pronunciation of that word. Um, and it was delicious. I think Big Tone would approve. Uh, I, I so yeah, uh, Tottenham three, Leicester two. I don't. I guess you got to start at the end of this match. Uh, it is hard to think of a more impactful sub than Steven Bergvine. This was. I mean, this is a weird match to talk about because usually when you snatch a late winner against you know a team that is probably outplayed you for a little bit, it's 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 in a match where you're stealing points, and I guess technically we're stealing points, but you kind of had the best of both worlds in this match. We were by far the better team and. Were really fun to watch. I think this is maybe the best we've looked under Conte, uh, and also we undeservedly went down. So then we snatched a late winner, and like Ben said, what might be the most fun we've had watching this team since Amsterdam. It was, it was pretty incredible to watch. I, I don't know if you want to start with the overall performance or the late late match heroics. Uh, ben, you look like you're raring to go, so I'll start with you. <laughs> Oh, I'm not raring anything. I'm just still kind of giddy thinking about Stevie B. Uh, I mean, it's just, you know, from his soft dive um, trying to win a penalty and, like, 
getting into it with Soyanchu to shoving him onto the ground, like, which, God, imagine if that had been a red card. I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to think about that. Um, and then, yeah, just dunking on him twice in a row. It's just, it's just unbelievable. And it's, you know, it's a guy who we have been, like, shopping around. Ajax just sold David Neres specifically so they could put in a, a bid for Bergvine. And, I, I mean, it would be fucked <laughs> if we went ahead and sold him after this. I mean, it'd be kind of crazy for Spurs to just not sell him off the back of, like, two minutes against Leicester, but... Also, what a two minutes against Leicester. <laughs> I, mean, I think the argument for Steve is he's been hurt a lot. I think he does offer another sort of attacking threat. And, you know, as we're, we've seen in this match, I think we're a little thin up front when, when, when a guy gets hurt. So, I don't know. Like, I don't think any of us have been wild about selling Steve in the first place because I think of all our sort of misfit toys who have misfired from transfers, I think... I think Bergvine's the guy you can actually make a case has never been kind of used properly. And I don't mean in that, like, LaCelso, oh, where do I play him in midfield kind of way. I mean in the, has he ever actually been used as an attacker other than that match against West Ham with the Conte put him in? Like, I mean, he's basically been a glorified wingback under Mourinho and, to a lesser extent, Nuno. So, you know, I mean, I know we, you know, like a new signing is probably going to be a joke about him. You'll see a lot in the next couple days, but... You know, I think of all of our misfit toys, he's the one that you just could legitimately say we haven't really seen much of in a desired position. Well, and Conte kind of said it after the match in his in his comments to the press and that, you know, Bergvine is in a team that doesn't have a lot of creative players. Bergvine is creative. He does have the ability to take a man off the dribble. He does have the ability to make runs in behind he does have the ability to uh you know get shots um and, and hold up the ball and 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 do all sorts of stuff and i think that's probably why conte sees him as a a potential you know backup striker or as a uh, a rotational piece or someone that can play with kane and um and yeah this was like you said this was the first time that we really got to see him in that role with Kane um, and, and not not even the goals, but just everything else that he did in his time on the pitch was good. I thought even if we hadn't gotten to the point where he scored those two goals at the end, he had a good match in the time that he was on the field. Uh, he combined well with Kane. Uh, they did a lot of cool stuff where, you know, they were trying to find each other, uh, you know, kind of with one twos and, you know, with passes in behind. He had a good little back heel that LaCelso just wasn't prepared for. You know, I, I thought overall he played well. And then also he got those two excellent goals at the end to, to get us the three points. Um, you know, it, it was really a really good performance. And, and I'm like you, it would be kind of like harsh to, to, to sell him off the back of this, but also, you know, price is up now. So <laughs> you price know, of the bricks going up. Yeah. It's like, you know, Oh, it was 20 million before I asked, well, look, he's actually good now. So 30, you know, like, 
So, I, I mean, look, I, I, I don't think I'm inclined to part with him because he is just another attacker that we have. And, you know, who knows? Harry Kane is an ankle injury away from going down. Um, so if we're not signing a striker or another attacker, I'd be loath to lose him. Um, I'm not going to be, ups- like, super upset if he goes. Um but this was great. It was a statement game. Like, it, this is his Amsterdam. Like, uh, you know, this is what I will think of. This and the goal against Manchester City in his debut. Like, these are what I'll think of when I think of Bergwine. Like, uh, you know. Only, only scores uh, bangers. Yeah. Man, what an opening and closing chapter to his, his first career. Well, <laughs> That's not, how it pans out. I mean, Conte said we're not looking to sell him. Now, you know, I know I always take manager comments with a grain of salt. But I, before we get to that, I, I want to not lose sight of what we saw today for just another minute. That second goal, the game winner, was so good. I don't know if he meant to do that, but he plays that exactly where no one's clearing that off the line. Schmeigel's not getting to it. I mean, it was such a well-placed shot. I mean, it was it was a weak shot that basically almost went out of the goal. But, like, I mean, considering how many shots we had cleared off the line today, I kind of appreciated that he was able to really place that well and I don't know how much of that was intentional because he's moving at pretty full speed by the time he lets that shot off but man like that was a really really good goal and it was like you said Ben, that was so cathartic especially after just how nothing in this match was going our way and how we deserve so much more oh it was was so good it was so exciting and then all the sell like all of our like you know all of our faves were like having fun with the crowd and doing dumb shit, like jumping on the stewards and exactly. Just like, even Lucero was getting into it, you know, like like Lucas is stealing hats. Like I mean, it was it was incredible. It was so much fun, and I think you know, again, like you don't want to let this change your evaluation of Bergvine, but it's hard not to get swept up in it. It was a, it was an excellent end of the match, and an excellent goal, and an excellent end of the game. It was excellent. Yeah, and like. You know, it's been a tough, tough couple weeks here um, around around only this only because we camp. made it a little tougher on ourselves than we needed to. But well, I, I mean, like between between the you know the two Chelsea losses, you know the struggles against Morecambe um, and Arsenal shenanigans this weekend. You it's mean like, more Camby? I don't mean more Camby. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was like it's just been a sour mood. I mean, all the players. And management and everybody involved in Spurs was bitching about, you know, the Arsenal bullshit. Um, you know, all the fans had been losing their minds for a while now um, as, like, things felt like they were going off the rails. Like, this was just a really much-needed, you know, moment of celebration for everybody that you hope is, like, going to kick on into the international break. <laughs> we can lose all that momentum well we, we still well, have to play I, chelsea so we'll see how that goes but and I, I think the other thing ben is, is is that you know this was a performance that really deserved that result you know i i think this was we, we looked so good and we played so well for you know the first half and then you know parts of the second basically the end of the second but it's just like It was was not us stealing a victory. This is not an undeserved three points that we lucked into because Bergvine, you know, got those two at the end. I mean, I I guess that is the ultimate what happened. But, like, the story of the game is not that, you know, Leicester were better and then we just happened to luck into three points. It was 
we dominated this game. And it was, you know, we got so many shots in good positions. I mean, Harry Kane himself had 10 shots. Um, you know, I think he hits both posts, hits the crossbar. Um, you know, he has one cleared off the line. Someone else has another one cleared off the line. Like, Hoyberg, like, yeah. Hoyberg, like this is, you know, this is an actual good performance. Um, it's not and, just good. I, I, I'm not kidding. Maybe with the exception of the Liverpool match, but I think even including that, this, I think this is the best we've looked under Conte. This, we look great I mean, today. And certainly from expected goals, it's it's the best performance we've had in what was it, going back to 2011, I think is what yeah, Michael Caley said. Since they started said. tracking expected goals in the 2010-2011 season, this is the best, not just the best Spurs expected goals, but the best non-City expected goals performance of anybody in that time period. Like, you know, it's the difference between stealing a victory and like fighting tooth and nail to claw back that victory that we had earned over the course of 90 minutes. And it's just excellent. Well, you have the yeah. elation of, we stole this, we got it at the end. And then also, you know, a lot of times you look at that and you're like, mm, boy, like, you know, you, you look at how that match when there's some causes for concern, you know, this match went, you see like, all you can see is positives and like, you know, like, the only kind of like negatives I can think of in the match are things that will be addressed when other people get healthy. I mean, you know, even I thought one of the things I was most impressed with in this match, um, I mean, one of the things I was most impressed with is Harry Kane. So I guess we should get into that in a second, but the way he was using winks, like, I mean, cause we've had this real problem with his back three with no passers in it. And I thought the way he used winks today was a little bit inspired. Now, I mean, Lester looked a little rusty, so I don't know if this is going to work against everyone, but you know, I mean, we looked really good, and it looked like you solved the issue of getting the ball out from the back and making it work with what we thought was going to be a pretty static midfield. I mean, there was a joke. I mean, speaking of that midfield, there was a joke on Twitter. I can't remember who said it, but, um, you know, who needs to sign Adama, just oil up Oliver Skip and, like, let him run around. Because, I mean, I've never seen him move like he did today. It's just, it, it seemed like there were so many solutions on the pit. It was just everything about this match was really encouraging, with the exception of maybe Davidson Sanchez, but even he had his moments today. So, Yeah, I mean, it was a real masterclass from Conte. You know, we've talked a lot about his, his particular genius is finding a way to piece a bunch of guys together into a cohesive unit that worked. And, I mean, as much as, you know, Bergvine and Kane's 10 shots are like the headline-grabbing stories, I mean, to me, the real story is how perfectly the team was balanced to, you know, achieve its goals, compensate for its weaknesses, move the ball well, um, and create opportunities without, you know, with, without that Christian Eriksen type player who we've been missing and secretly hoping we could resign. Um, I, I think it's worth pointing out, Ben, because I know everyone, including myself in this room, kind of groaned a little bit when they saw that lineup, um, partly because we're Spurs fans, partly because we're football fans, and partly because... You know, there's not a lot of passing in that midfield today. And you wouldn't have noticed it. I mean, they moved that ball up and down the pitch all day. It was it was really impressive. Dropping Winks deep with the center backs, I thought, was a inspired move. Yeah, I mean, I think that... Oh, go ahead, Brian. No, I was just going to say, I, I think a lot of what also helped that midfield is Hoiberg had a really good game. Like, this was, you know, Denmark in the Euros level Hoiberg. Um, you know, he was, he was good on the ball. He was good breaking up play. Uh, he almost had a goal. Like, like this was a good match. And now look, the Leicester midfield included Tielemans, 
Madison and then a guy that's like a liberal arts college dining hall um in uh, you Jewish know like Barry hall yeah like um so so you know i guess that's the only thing that i have that like tempers kind of the the joy about this game is like this was not a good lester team this was not you know obviously their first choice um you know you've got hamza chowdhury playing out of position in the back line playing a back three all brighton's playing full back like they they don't this isn't this isn't first choice lester um but by the same token, if it's not first choice Leicester, we should beat the brakes off of them, which is basically what we did for most of this match, even though it took us until the end to get the goals. Like this is the performance that you look at, you go, oh, we're playing a understrength side or we're playing a team that's obviously worse than us. We should dominate this game. And that's exactly what we did. Even our bad stretches, which I mean, Ben, you and I were talking on um chat about this earlier today but like you know like our like by the standards of bad stretches from a tottenham team i mean it hardly even rates we just weren't like punishing them in the way that we were for the first like 50 55 minutes of this match it's it was i, I mean honestly it's like when we were talking about this is certainly the most fun we've had watching spurs in a while maybe maybe you give the liverpool match points for you know sort of just difficulty of opponent but i mean Leicester still had some players out there. It's like I mean, we just looked really good today, and just really, like I said, it's a system that you can see working against other teams. I'm just, I'm enormously impressed with Conte and how he sort of gets a song out of what is a sort of island of misfit toys. Yeah, I mean, you know, yes, Leicester were severely weakened. They're missing a lot of key players. Um, you know, they're not having one of the, their best seasons of late. Um, but you know, whoever we're playing, it's like, you got to go out there and get the job done. And we've seen us not do that, you know, enough times to, for me to not look at that as like an asterisk to put on the performance at all. Like everybody did their job well, you know, I think you pointed to the, the key tactical innovation here was having Winks drop alongside Davidson Sanchez at center back so he can move the ball from deep. And then that allowed Ben Davis and Tanganga to push on and do that, you know, marauding center back thing that we've seen some of from, you know, Romero earlier this year and um, Davis when he first came into the team under Conte. But like, this is the first time we've really seen that cook. I mean, Ben Davis and Tanganga were basically playing as fullbacks for most of the match um, in possession. And it allowed, Royale and Doherty on the right and Regulon on the left to get way higher up the pitch than normal. And like, Regulon was a menace. Regulon was, I mean, Doherty <laughs> plays best game in a Spurs shirt, which is, you know, not not, right. as, not as good a compliment as it might sound. But I, I like, thought, I thought Regulon... not good, but like... <laughs> he wasn't a problem. He, he was out there doing his thing. Like, he was a, a bit you know of a donkey, you know but you like, know? he donkeyed his way into a six... He created and like he created the equalizer. Like kudos to him. Like with a handball, probably. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was one but sequence. I mean, we had there... a handball in Amsterdam, right? So sure. like, why not keep going? <laughs> There's one sequence from Doherty where, like, he passes the ball directly to the opposition center back, but then immediately presses him, wins the ball back. And then instead of making the easy pass to Kane or Bergvine, passed it across the top of the box to the other center back for Leicester. And it's just like, 
Uh, that's your Spurs career in a nutshell right there. <laughs> <laughs> like, but, but, you know, look, uh, I, this match was in terms of tactics was, was so good. And, and I think, you know, it's interesting that we're talking about, you know, the Liverpool match was the other really good there Spurs were other match. Ones, but that's, I guess, well, but, because it's Liverpool were, but I think, you know, under Conte, that's the other kind of like benchmark. And, both that game and this game are games where we played the three five two, um, and it just makes me wonder, like, why isn't this what we're doing? It's clearly what works best with the personnel. It's clearly what works well, you know, against the opposition that we're playing. Like, why, you know, why are we trying to shoehorn this team into a three four three? Um, and and you know, maybe Sonny's injury, maybe you know, some of the other depth issues are coming at the right time to make Conte realize that, you know, the best thing he can do with this team is this three, five, two, because it got the best out of Kane. It made Hoiberg look good. It freed up Winks to do a lot of fun stuff. Uh, it freed up Skip to do a lot of fun stuff. Emerson looked okay for, you know, the 45 minutes that he was on the pitch. Regulon looked great. Like you said, Tanganga and Davis were getting forward into dangerous positions. Like, and, it, it just made it everybody look fun. I don't think it precludes Sun. Like this isn't like, oh, we can't play this system with Sun. No, I don't think that's a problem. Like, I think. Well, you... I mean, the, the question is, is like, if Lucas is undroppable, and you know, that's where Sun goes. And you know, we've talked about wanting Lucas to maybe be a wingback since we don't have a really good attacking wingback. And like, when when Bergvine came off, that's where Lucas went. He went and took up. Um, Regulon spot basically playing as left wing back and he had a lot of really good deliveries he you know um was involved in the equalizer like he was pretty good out there um and i wonder if this will finally be the thing it won't be then <laughs> one day say, one day you're gonna you're gonna finally get back to this like well like because like you want to play a 3-5-2 conte loves lucas i'm like for good reason he's been very good um you know, we're, we're struggling with a good right wing back. We played two of them today. Neither of whom were great. You know, it's just like, it's there. <laughs> can, can I, can we talk about Lucas for a second? I mean, we're burying it. I want to get to sort of like the real tactical innovation, but like, I want to talk about Lucas for a second. I know that a lot of it, like Lucas has expressed some, let's say less than desirable political views, at least for people of our stripe. And that has caused a lot of us to have issues with him. But like, I'm getting very close to being like, he is my pleasant Republican uncle and I'm just going to conveniently ignore his politics because like that guy really enjoys being here in a way that like, I can't help but find myself charmed by. And now that he's playing really well, I mean, maybe this is just convenient for me. Maybe I'm just numb to it from like, I've watched enough baseball in my life that I've learned to ignore. If you're not Paulo DeCanio, I've learned to ignore your politics, but like, God, Lucas really is. It's hard not to like him. I mean, I mean, just from, like, how much he loves to be at Spurs. Like, his celebrations today were great. It's... I mean, look, I liked Lucas from the time he was at PSG. And, like, he was a fun player there. And and when he came over, I thought, you know, oh, this is his chance to shine. And, you know, we're we're not as big a club. The, the, the pressure will be different. Like, he could be, like, a big deal for us. And, you know, the reality is he stayed basically the same player. Um, but he's just interesting and fun. And I don't think there are a lot of players that, 
that have the skill set that he has. You know, the he's he's so jumpy and his his <laughs> pace and acceleration is great. And sometimes his finishing is amazing. Um, and, you know, I, he just does a lot of things um, pretty well. And he just doesn't really have, at this point in his career, he's not great at oh, any one thing. Like, early in his career, you would have said his pace is, is what sets him apart. His pace is athleticism. It, it's not the, the same as it was, um, but I think what he, you know, we've talked about it before, it, it's easy to see why managers talk themselves into liking him. He's a player that seems to work hard when he's on the pitch. He doesn't take... You know, he doesn't take minutes off. He always puts in a shift. He always runs hard. He always tracks back. He always does the stuff that, you know, people talk about, you know, wanting to see from their players. He has passion. He does, you know, he gets stuck in. He does, he does all those sorts of things that, that fans want, that managers want. And, you know, even if he is somewhat limited or more limited than some of our other options, he he's a good guy to have out there. He's he's a glue guy. You and, know? and like, now that Conte seems to have like there was always that five ten percent missing, at least lately, from like sort of his game. Conte seems to have figured that out. Like, this is how you use this guy. This is how you motivate this guy. I don't know what it is, but like he's way I mean, you know, better under Conte. And at PSG, you know, look, I'm I'm not gonna look at the stats and I'm probably gonna be wrong, but he was like a <laughs> he was like an eight goal, ten assist every season type of guy. Like that that was just kind of what he was. He wasn't, you know, double digit goals, he wasn't scoring twenty, he was you know, but and and it's different at PSG because you're a class above everybody, but he was good. He he was a reliable player for them. And I think for the most part, he's been that for us. Um, and that's like, you know, we talked about a few weeks ago when Conte made his comments about like, look, the reason Lucas plays is because no one else replicates, you know, the quality of chances that he creates and the quantity of chances that he creates. And 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 that's true. I, I, I just I think, you know, for whatever issues we all have with him, you know, whether they're political or whether they're actually, you know, football or whatever, he does a pretty good job every time he's out there. Um, and he's not, you know, he's maybe not doing a lot of the cool magical stuff that they like associate with Eric Lamella, or he's not, you know, Christian Eriksen, and he's definitely not Son or Kane, but he's pretty good most of the time. He's just, I, I don't know, I, I find it very easy to be charmed by someone who, I mean, it's part of the reason I love Eric Lamella. He, he, after a while, he clearly enjoyed being at Spurs. And especially after the Harry Kane nonsense this year, I, I can't help myself. I mean, I'm an easy mark for it, I will confess. I can't help but find myself a little bit charmed by, by how much he enjoys this team. Like, Right. I mean, I think, you know, as a fan, it's like I look at a guy like Ndombele, who I love because I love what he does on a football pitch. But what I love Ndombele a lot more if he had, like, the attitude of a Lamella or a Lucas or even a Bergbine who, you know, showed up off the bench on the verge of being sold and did that, you know, like, of course, there's a lot, there's a lot of mileage you get of just like being excited to be there and like working hard on the pitch. And like, you know, even if it's not turning into, you know, star level performance, you know, production, you know, you, you you have those guys. They're they're your cult heroes. They're your they're your fan faves. And 
you know, I, I will never get over the fact that Lucas was a Bolsonaro supporter and it's hard to get vocal about that. It's hard to get past your but you know, I don't like hate watching him on the pitch for Spurs like we have at times when he's just flattered to deceive, you know, week in, week out, and knowing he has some of those, you know, technical abilities and it just isn't doing anything. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm definitely softening towards him and <laughs> I hate that. <laughs> so Aaron Lennon or Lucas Mora? It's not close. Really? No. Oh, come yeah, on. You, of course ben, ben can't portray his uh, first fave and or the movement. So, you know. Uh. I mean, I still want, you know, look, Lennon was limited and Lennon, I don't know what his production compared to. He killed to Lucas, the czar. Like, what else do you want from him, Ben? That's ridiculous. That's <laughs> true. That's uh, some serious production. <clears throat> no, I do. I've always wondered what Aaron Lennon would be like if he grew up in a more modern footballing you know, coaching style and not stay on the right and dribble and cross. And like, that's your whole game. Cause you're fast. Um, but I definitely think he would have well, been not, made into a wingback, you know, in the modern he's, era. He's awfully small for that. Yeah. But I mean, like, I, I think it would be like someone in like the Hakimi or Lamptey mold where they're just like, don't defend. You're just over here. You have this whole side. Just get up and down. Get into the box. Do stuff. Um, but yeah, I don't know. So we've. Uh, this is my fault because I'm not <laughs> managing this conversation well. But we have gone 30 minutes, and I think we've really buried the lead of what I think was the most impressive thing about this match, which was Harry Kane. I thought Kane was excellent on the pitch. If you want to get into this, I thought the body language was like I can't remember the last time I've seen Kane looking this like motivated and excited. I mean, you know, he's running over to the fans screaming as soon as the match is over. I mean, he was, I mean, he was putting in a shift and a half. He was making excellent passes. He was creating, I mean, he created like 10 chances or something that they were really good chances. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen anyone head the ball as hard as he did when he hit the crossbar in the first half. I mean, he was very unfortunate not to have a hat trick before the first half was over. I mean, I know there's a lot of talk amongst a certain type of Spurs fan, which probably includes the people on this podcast and a lot of our <laughs> listeners, that Spurs were fools not to sell him, or we need to really seriously look into selling him. But, like, on a match like this, and I understand it's Leicester, and I understand it's a depleted Leicester, but, like, you watch it like this, and you can sort of see why... Conte maybe didn't come to Tottenham until we demonstrated we're going to hold on to Harry Kane. Because, I mean, he was really, really good tonight. And, I mean, and it was honestly a little stunt. It reminded me. I, like, I think it's easy to forget just how good Harry Kane can be or has been. Because I think he's been kind of cooked for a lot of this year. And I think that has a lot to do with Euros and his transfer drama. And, you know, you can insert your obligatory snake jokes here. But... I, this was just, I mean, this, I thought this match was a real interesting reminder of just how good Harry Kane could be, because I thought he was excellent. Yeah, I mean, you know, he did not score but the one goal, but on on performance all around, and like, you know, you talk about like 10 shots, um, created chances for other people, like, has to be one of, if not his best, all around performance 
uh, and his first shirt. You know, like we've seen him score more goals in a game. We've seen him, you know, score crazier goals in a game. But I mean, this was just like the perfect synthesis of like that Mourinho number ten Harry Kane with that slide rule pass into Bergvine for the uh, for the final goal. Um, you know, and just the sheer volume of, of shots he took, and like a good goal where he you know, had to dribble the defender as he was breaking into the box and, uh, you know, placed his shot really well. And, and that was, was vintage just, Kane. That was, I mean, that's the kind yeah. of stuff he used to do to people all the time. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was unreal. Uh, I mean, seven shots in the first half alone is just like, it was outrageous for us to not be winning by halftime. Well, and I think the, the shot numbers have, have been there under Conte. And I think that's the thing that, you know, um, has given me hope. And I think, you know, people um, that are, that are more analytics focused than probably the three of us were, were saying about Kane is like, you know, look, he's getting the shots. They're coming in decent areas. Like this is, it's working. Conte has a plan. It's coming together. Um, and, you know, today was the culmination of that. Like the fact that he didn't score, uh, the one that gets cleared off the line earlier, like it, in the match, like that—that's a classic Kane shot. Like that, uh, under any normal circumstances, that would have gone in. The, the header off the corner, like th- that should have gone in. Like, like it, it's weird because it, it seems almost like he's in some weird finishing slump because just stuff hasn't been going in. And then, and then he does eventually score. But, but like Ben said, he could have had. Three he could have had four. Like he, he, he was so good today. It's, it's. I mean, you say like finishing slump. Like he is in a finishing slump. It's not like he has like some like soldado yips where like he doesn't know what he's doing. It's just the ball is not going in the back of the goddamn net. And like if you look at his career at Spurs, his best season where he scored thirty goals, he was expected goals and assists was at point seven seven um, per ninety, and he's at point eight eight per ninety under Conte right now which is, again, better than his best season ever, and it's just not turning into goals. And, like, we keep waiting for the floodgates to open, and if it <laughs> didn't happen today, you kind of start to worry that it's never going to happen. But, like, if he keeps playing like this. I mean, I'll take an assist no and a goal like that. Like, Yeah, there's just no way it's not going to finally start popping off for him. You know, it's again. I think we've we've gone over his transfer saga, and I, I I think he handled it very poorly. And you know, he should never want to leave Tottenham. But like, there's there is something that I get in terms of his approach of like, I don't want to work for Nuno, but like, you get a guy like Conte in here, and that like excites and interests and motivates him in a way that Nuno's never going to. And there's some problems with that, but I think we can all sort of understand. You know, part of why he seems revitalized is like, look at look at how good this team can play now. Look at what Conte's done in like three months or whatever it's been. I mean, just look how good we are all of a sudden. And I can understand why Kane is, you know, it's maybe not good, but I can understand why Kane is just much more engaged all of a sudden. And on the flip side of that, I can understand why Conte is like really wanting to work with a guy like Harry Kane. I mean, because you could see a match like today and you have a striker who can do all the stuff he did today and like, you know, that would make Spurs maybe a little bit more appealing than we would otherwise be if we cashed in for, I mean, maybe he'd be interested in working with Altaro again, but, you know, if we just cashed in for 
you know, some, you know, random striker at Fiorentina or whatever. You know, I, I understand <laughs> how... Not going to pronounce his name, huh? Yeah, Vlaovic. Um, I, I understand the appeal that both of these guys had for each other watching a match like today. Because it was pretty fun to watch. I mean, just right. he came and like, back to his old self. Well, I, I was going to just say that it's increasingly weird to me that the Nuno tenure even existed. Like, the... the, the oh, I, I think in retrospect you can see... They thought they were going to be able to hire Conte either later this year or in the summer, and they just needed a play. They, they thought they were just going to get a placeholder. I don't think that's a great idea, but I think that's what they were doing. It's just it's just so weird to me that we spent ten matches in the Premier League with that, and then also that in that time we didn't play a back three. We played a weird four three three that didn't work, and and when this is so clearly a team that is constructed to succeed in a with a back three and with wing backs and you know he could have had his you know skip hoybeer midfield and it would have maybe wouldn't have sucked i don't know it's just like it, it, it's the 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 fact that we have conte now the what he has done with the team in just a few months to get them to look cohesive not just on the ball but off the ball in terms of their shape the patterns and, and the stuff that we're doing is is incredible. And it's just, like, it, it, it's weird because in my brain, the Nuno tenure just doesn't exist. And, well, and But for those 10 games at the beginning of the season, where would we be right now? Which like, we weirdly, like, well, we weirdly got out of them kind of okay, all things yeah, considered. Yeah. Like point, from a point total perspective, at least. You know, I think... The thing about Nuno is sometimes you need to see how bad it can get. Uh, Do know, we? I mean, we've always Do we? we've always regretted. I mean, we've always like criticized Kane for being such a rings guy and like buying into Mourinho's bullshit and like being a guy who is so snowed by like a manager's you know trophy cabinet and big name and whatever. Like it's stupid and it's annoying. But you know, if we had hired Graham Potter or you know, Ten Hag or one of those other names we were linked with, you know, Kane's going to be just as mad going into the season as he was under Nuno. And we probably don't sack him as quickly because, you know, we invested a little bit more in him. And, you know, rightfully, we probably believe in like the long-term future of a guy like that. But, you know, having that Nuno period and then Conte gave Harry Kane kind of the ability to be like, okay, well now I can buy back in. Whereas, you know, I don't know if it ever happens for us this season or ever again with Kane if if that weird turn of events didn't happen. So I try to look at it as like a blessing in disguise, even though it was fucking terrible and it was terrible to sit through. Um, but, yeah, I'm glad to see that Kane is something that looks like he's back. Uh, we really can does, sure use it. And this really does feel like a Conte team. Yes. Um, you know, just in terms of what we're doing out there and, and you know, the the attacking play that we showed today was just, I mean, amazing. Like, like when have we looked that good against a, a fairly bunkered defense? I, I mean, when have we gotten that number and quality of chances against a team that was going to play in a low block like that? I can't think of any matches. Um, I mean, I, I, we, we struggle against teams that do that. 
and we especially had especially when we didn't we didn't score an early goal today. Yeah, and and I mean, and that's not just a this era of Spurs thing. That's a that's going back you know decades. You know that, and and Conte has now you know patterns of play drilled into this team where we were just creating chance after chance after chance. Right. I want to, I want to stay with that for a second. Cause I think the guy that, and this might not be entirely down to Conte. I want to like say that, but the guy that I think I really noticed the difference with beyond like Kane, just looking like he's trying is skip who I think we were a lot harder on him than a lot of other podcasts, but you know, I mean, they were right. And like skips a player and he's real good right now. I mean, he's not even like, like and I, I would bet Conte wouldn't say this. Now maybe it's just because he knows Spurs hierarchy likes him, but I don't think Conte is going to try to replace Skip when he starts getting his way in the transfer market. Skip looks really good. Now maybe he just need to get acclimated to the Premier League a little bit, which I think is probably part of the issue that we have them earlier. But like I think you can clearly see like where he's moving on the pitch, the positions he's getting into, where he's moving the ball. Like he made some great runs today into the final third, which like. You know, God, did he even get near the final third in the beginning of the season when it wasn't a set piece? I mean, he just looks like such a intelligent, just, you know, dangerous player now that he just didn't look like. And there's, like, physicality to his game I didn't know was there. Maybe because he, you know, looks like an English movie star from the 1950s or something. But um, Or he looks like uh, Ben. What's the name of uh, that actor we were talking about who plays uh, the security chief on The Expanse? Um, Burn... Gorman, is that it? That is it. Yeah, he kind of looks <laughs> like Burn Gorman's younger brother. Like, he doesn't look I physically mean, impressive, but he was like, I mean, he was busting his gut out there. It was really yeah. impressive. I mean, he's like a, a waifish Victorian, you know, sick child, but who's eaten beef for six months now, and he's like <laughs> starting to show his. You know? Right. I mean, I think you know the thing about earlier in the season is like, you know, I, I don't think it was ever a sense that we didn't want to persist with him or keep him in the squad and let him develop. But like he wasn't playing very well to start the season and like was not ready for the premier league. And like, yeah, the best way to get ready is just like a baptism by fire. And like, you know, over the course of the season, he has progressed and is, it's not just because of Conte. It's just because of, I mean, Conte has obviously like been a huge improvement for everybody in this team, but like, even before Conte, like ten games into the season, he was looking better than he was. He, you're one you're game right. Into the you're right. He you know, was, like, but I think the he difference... had to acclimate to the speed of the the league, and you know, like you see today, like he is an athlete. He, you know, there's a a part where he was in a foot race with somebody and just like turned on the afterburners, you know, to get that separation, and it's like, oh wow, like yeah, skips an athletic little fellow, isn't he? It's the, uh, I, and I think. I think when you can see under Conte with him, like which is where I think Conte's made the difference, and I what I think is, however this Conte thing turns out, I think it's great that a player this young and this important to Spurs in our midfield is getting like training from the one of the best managers on the planet. You know, you, his positional sense is just so much different than it was under Nuno, and because my, my guess is Nuno wasn't giving him much instruction, and he's getting a lot of really good instruction now. It's just it's between those two things, like you said, Ben. The, the acclimation of the Premier League with, like, now he's getting this sort of, like, instruction and he's understanding the patterns of play. And he just looks like a completely different player, and it's so much fun to watch. I mean, if you look at, like, the you know, the way he was deployed under Nuno, he was, like, basically, like, a stopper in front of that back four, 
where he was just sit there and do some defensive work and then play a safe sideways pass. And we've seen him grow into his ball usage as well. Like he is playing forward passes. He is bursting forward. Um, you know, he is doing a lot more on and off the ball. That's not just like sit there and help protect a fragile back four. Um, you know, I think a lot of people were surprised to see that, you know, Winks was the deepest midfielder yeah. and not Skip today because Skip's the guy who's the nominally defensive one. Well, because you can um, see it at but, one point, Winks got kind of forward. I think it was in the first half and there was a turnover. I, I, he might have been responsible. I can't remember. That's not the important part. The important part is he had to get his ass back on defense. And it was like, I, I kind of forgot, like, wow, Skip's not that fast. And after watching, like, Skip break forward a couple times today, it, it was sort of. It was illuminating for me that, like, oh, Skip really is that fast, and, like, Winks doesn't have that kind of speed. And it's, you know, I think, like, one of the things that's so good about Conte is I think he just, he understands strengths and weaknesses and just resigns himself is maybe the wrong term, but, like, doesn't, like, try to fit square pegs in round holes. Like He manages them. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, okay, well, you can do this, Harry. Harry Winks is a great example. He is, like... The first manager since the early days of Pochino is like, okay, well, what can Harry Winks do? Let me just employ him in those ways. And Winks looks great. Like, Winks is the kind of guy where if he's here next year, I'm not really going to complain about it, which is an incredible achievement um, from Conte. For Harry Winks specifically, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for Harry Winks specifically. And, you, you know, know, I, I think, think like, Winks had skip. struggles today in, like, getting used to that position. Mm-hmm. He had a bit of the Jan Vertonghen's about him where he would step out too far out of the back and try to make a challenge. <laughs> and then forget that he's supposed to be playing basically as a center back. And, you know, that led to a lot of Lester's opportunities coming back at us the other way. But, you know, I think seeing how well Winks has already learned under Conte, if this is a role that is going to be his for the foreseeable future, I feel pretty good about his chances of like learning the positional discipline to know when he can step out and when he's supposed to shift back and forth, you know, between those two spots on the pitch. Um, but, you know, I think everybody today just really seemed to understand what was being asked of them. You know, I hate to say understood the assignment, but like did understand the assignment and like, you know, understood, you know, how they were supposed to shift between lines and break forward and, you know, move in and out of possession and what where they're supposed to be standing, where they're supposed to be receiving the ball, where they're supposed to be looking to get on the ball. Um, and like who they're supposed to be passing to. It was just all very well, well drilled. So thank you, Arsenal, for giving us the weekend <laughs> off to like work on this. Um, but it was, it was such a change of pace after Chelsea. Well, both and Chelsea I think matches. It, it definitely excites you for what does this team look like in August of next year? You know, like, what do we look like after a preseason with Conte under our belt? Like, like the rest of this season and a preseason. Like, the, this season, I, I'm very confident we're going to finish strong. I feel, I feel very confident about potential top four. I feel, you know, I just, I feel very, very good about where gonna we're going. We're going to win the FA Cup. We're going to win the league. Yep, absolutely. We're going to win the Europe Conference League, even though we're not <laughs> in it anymore. We're just going to um, show up for games wearing, like, balaclavas and, like, just... Yep. Teams and, and UEFA is just going to put us back in, but in the semifinals, um, it's just, I, I mean, you know, like, you know, matches like this where, and, and I guess, you know, this was one of the things that's been 
you know, ever present throughout Conte's career. When he has time to prepare, when he has time to drill these teams, they are really good. It's why he's not ever really been a great cup manager is because, you know, his preparation and his game planning is so detailed. And so, you know, to prep and to be ready for a league season, you know, the, the Conte is that is that guy. And, you know, gosh, if we look this good in a team where we're, or our back line is Davis Sanchez and Tanganga and our midfield is Hoiberg, Winks and Skip, like, what do we look like with, you know, our for, our first choice back line with a few signings with, you know, you know, like mm-hmm. I, I, I I think it's like really wild just to see, you know, from the Chelsea game, we played basically this lineup. Um, we had Regulon instead of Doherty. We had Skip instead of Lo Celso. But I mean, basically, it was the exact same team. And like it was not doing any of this sort of flexibility and position tactical things. We did not seem to have any idea how to pass the ball, how to, you know, how to get off the ball, how to pass the ball, how to create chances. Like, we did, we look totally bereft of ideas. And to take basically that same lineup, and you're like, yes, it's a worse op- opponent, but, and say, okay, here's what's going wrong. I will now create a plan to fix it with largely the same guys. It's just like, it's the kind of management we have not seen at Spurs in so long. Um, you know, not just banging your head against the wall, running out the same nonsense week in, week out, and expecting a different result. Like, he ran out the same nonsense and, like, made sure it achieved a different result by doing things differently. And, like, it's just so refreshing to have somebody like that in the dugout. I think, Ben, I think you're absolutely right about we made a lot of adjustments, but I do think it's not a coincidence how much better we look with Regulon on the pitch. And I, we, we've mentioned him in passing a couple times. I want to single him out because he didn't score a goal or anything, but like he was a menace all day. He looked so good. I mean, you looked at the way he just kind of, I don't want to say withered because it didn't really affect his attitude or anything, but like the way he just sort of got worse under Mourinho and he's just like, in, and was kind of mediocre under Nuno. And now he's just like, I mean, he looks like that guy we bought, we bought like that extremely promising 21 year old. who's probably going to be in the Spanish national side sooner or later and he just looks he was such a menace all day and a lot like we were talking i was talking about with lucas like one of the things i love about reggie is he he loves being at spurs and it's infectious and it makes you just like him even more i mean he i mean you just think if we can sort out our sort of right hand our our right-sided left fullback situation like I mean, God, we're going to be like you said brian like when we can sort out our roster a little bit we're going to be so if we're this good now God, it's so exciting. It's so exciting to have a manager like Conte. And just on the regular point, like, I, I think having any sort of attacking threat on the flanks really makes this whole system work. And, and you know, being able to push uh, Regulon and Emerson and Doherty, you know, forward into where they're basically playing in the attacking third the entire match, I mean, makes this a lot more difficult. Now now look in this in the second half once Regulon came off and once it was Doherty over on the right we were a lot more narrow, a lot more compact, so it was different, but like, you know, Regulon gives 
you know, width and and actually provides danger on that flank that, you know, Emerson doesn't really do. I'm not, I'm not trying to be down on Emerson. I think Emerson is actually a really good player, and, 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 and I think he's perfectly fine. Um, no, but, you're, but even even the most charitable assessment of Emerson wouldn't say he's as dangerous as Regulon. He's not is. dangerous, right. right. Yeah, sure, exactly. <laughs> and, and I think, you know, when you have a Regulon, when you, and even Sessegnon, I think, I think does a decent job of accomplishing that on the left-hand flank, is you have a threat on that side that stretches defenses, that makes them pay attention to you. Um, right. That, that also- makes your attack more dynamic. It, it makes it harder to defend. It give it provides space for, um, you know, Skip to break forward, for for Kane to find pockets. Like, it, it's just better. Right. And, and all the... Dis- burst out of the back and fill that gap once mm-hmm. Regulon has peeled the defender out wide. Like, we, we, we struggle to break down bunker defenses because we struggle to create gaps we struggle to move players around and a guy like regulon does so much for our ability to stretch defenses and open up little pockets of space for guys to move into and you know shift the ball around and shift defenses around and like yeah we've missed him when he hasn't been here and it makes and such a difference that's a that really it makes such a difference that he's making good decisions now which he wasn't for like god a year like a calendar year like and just almost immediately under conte i mean the decision making has improved so much and he's not as slow. I mean, he's always, you know, I mean, we, we joke about him being a golden retriever or something. And, you know, I think that's exactly what he is. But, like, he's always going to be a little bit sloppier than I think we would like. But it's not hurting us in the way that it was. Because when he attacks, when he gets back, it's all, it's back to making good decisions again. And I'm, I'm you know, that's down to Conte. And it's, it's God, he's such a fun player. This team, it Spurs are fun to watch again, guys. This is so much fun. What were you going to say, Brian, about him? Well, I was just going to say, like, like I think you were exactly right uh, in terms of what the difference today was, was, was our movement, um, especially in the last few matches, like against Morecambe specifically, like who we were more can be, okay. we were so <laughs> static and there just wasn't movement off the ball that we weren't stretching teams side to side with switches of play with movement down the flanks. And and that was what we had today. Like we were we were using uh, Skip and Winks and and Hoiberg to switch play quickly, and then using the fullbacks or the wingbacks, I guess, to 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 drive forward on the flanks and then create opportunities. And and the players in the middle were moving instead of just standing still. Um, and and. It was so much better. It was so much better. And, and you know, if we if we can find a right wing back that provides you know some level of attacking threat, uh, you know, I'm I'm not I'm not willing to give up on Emerson. I think Emerson is again a fine player. I think he does an absolutely you know a, a serviceable job. I think he's a good Premier League right back. Maybe not as great of a Premier League right wing back, um, but I think he's fine. Um, and, and, you know, like if we can find a player that fills a, a much more attacking role on that flank to give us, you know, more threat, more danger, like this, uh, this team is going to get a lot better. I think there's just one more guy that we haven't talked about. And I think we really need to. And that is Hoiberg, who has been a fairly divisive figure among Spurs fans lately, um, you know, since he came into the team originally and was you know immediately hailed as like the best defensive midfielder in England and then 
just through sheer workload seemed to drop off and maybe never quite recovered um, that spark. I, I thought, I mean, he was instrumental to our victory um, today. I mean, as much as, as Bergvine was, um, you know, right before Bergvine had his two goals, um, you know, Harvey Barnes put Davinson on his ass and, you know, was through on goal and looked certain to score the go ahead goal to make it three, one and ball game. Um, and yeah, and Hoybeard came out of nowhere, slid in, blocked the shot. And then shortly thereafter, you know, played the ball into the box for Doherty that led to Bergvine's first goal and then intercepted the pass and set Kane off for the third goal. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, and I tweeted this and I, you know, I love to quote my own tweets on the podcast, but the thing about Hoiberg is like, we've used him as a defensive midfielder. We've used him as a possession circulator. You know, we've seen him be good um, internationally as like a creator and like, Oh, you know, we hope he can do the things that Erickson can do because nobody else on the team is really doing that. And like, he hasn't been like a standout at any of those things as we're asking him to kind of do a little bit of all of them. Um, you know, and I think today we saw a little bit of that stellar performance in each of those roles and, you know, having, I think the midfield support and like the system that he was playing in freed him up to do the things he does well without demanding he does everything well all the time. Um, and I, I just thought all around performance today was just, just brilliant. Um, and well, go ahead, Brian. I, I was going to say, I think, I think Hoiberg is in a, a very similar boat to Oliver Skip in that they both have fairly well-rounded skill sets without excelling at a particular thing. Like, like, like Ben said, you know, with Hoiberg, he can be a defensive midfielder, but is he great at that? No. And he can be a creative player in midfield, but is that the best u- utilization of him? Probably not. And, and and so, you know, this sort of system where he and Skip kind of have the freedom to get up and down and get into positions that, 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 that you know, or, or, or you know, creating attacking opportunities and then getting back to, to, to cover and defense really worked well um, because that they were just asked to be all around players. They weren't asked to be great in the final third. They weren't asked to be great at, in breaking up play. They were just asked to be positionally disciplined, which I think both of them are and, and, and to make smart decisions, which I think both of them do well. And, and it really worked. And, and I mean, you know, look, I think we would be a much better team if we had, you know, uh, a, an N'Golo Conte type midfielder who was all action and also great at breaking up play. Or if we had a, a midfielder who was, you know, a really great passer like uh, Giovanni Lo Celso, someone like that, if we had that guy, um, you know, like, I, I think we would be improved. But again, Going back to Conte, going back to coaching, managing the squad. These are the midfielders that you have. How can you best deploy them? You know, utilize them in a way that that works their strengths. And 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 that's what we got for both Hoiberg and Skip, and they both really excelled. So, 
we've had a lot of fun talking about the Leicester match, and the only reason that's the only match we're talking about is because of the dishonest cowards at Arsenal lying and cheating their way out of a North London derby they were afraid to play. Ben, how does it weigh on you to be married to someone who supports such a fundamentally dishonest <laughs> organization? Oh, well, I mean, I think that's just baked into marriage, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> she was salty in some of her tweets this weekend, I saw. Well, she's a salty woman. <laughs> it's, it was, I don't know, like, I, I see a lot of people saying, like, oh, well, Spurs would have done the same thing. Like, maybe, but we didn't. So like I don't know, it's 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 a load of bullshit that Arsenal didn't want to play this game. Like one COVID case and a bunch of injuries and departures that they are responsible for. It's just... I think that's the thing that rankles. Like if if you had a few COVID cases, okay, fine, I, I get it. Like you know, and, absolutely. And... and and there's the there's the thing that I think we should preface all this with is like if we were handling this in the way that maybe we should be handling the global pandemic, like we wouldn't be playing games or we would be playing a reduced schedule, whatever, but we're not. And if you're going by the standards that we've been using, this is still bullshit. So, right. And the standard largely seems to have been basically, did you have to close down your training ground? Like there's not, I mean, the Premier League has articulated this standard for, you know, 13 players, including a goalkeeper, but it doesn't really feel like that's what they're actually looking at when they make the decision to cancel or postpone matches. It's 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 that, you know, was there a specific impact on preparation for a match? Was the training ground closed? And that wasn't the case here. And now, look, I'm sympathetic. There's tons of times I wish our matches would get postponed, usually not because of injuries, just because we suck. Um, but you know, like, you know, I, 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 it's, it's a very weird situation. And like, like you said, Greg, it's, it's players missing through, um, going to internationals or, or, or being loaned out, um, you know, in the weeks before the game, being Um, loaned out really rankles, right? Yeah. That's the one where you have. Well, especially you. We've seen rumors. There's been rumors swirling around Tanganga with Spurs, and a lot of the caveat is we will not loan him before the international break, which is clearly we are not going to leave ourselves shorthanded, you know, before the international break. And like, I, I keep hearing like, oh, should we hurt players, a youth player's development? I'm fucking sorry, like like waiting two weeks or something is like not going yeah. to affect the youth players development. Yeah. And I mean, you know, <laughs> on what was it? Tuesday, Monday or Tuesday, Arsenal loaned out another player. So I don't, I don't know how they're going to play their league cup match tomorrow. Um, Which yeah, they were I, really, you know, good thing. Arsenal hadn't been super sanctimonious about the team lying about COVID tests, you know, a week or so ago. <laughs> Yeah. Which they were right to be angry about because teams shouldn't lie and take advantage of this bullshit. I mean... And I mean, look, you know, players missing for AFCON sucks, but, like, you know which players on your team are going to AFCON. Like, like you know that Thomas Partey is going to AFCON. Now, luckily for them, Ghana got knocked out super early, and he's back. Um, You know, luckily for them, whatever happened with Aubameyang happened 
happened. I don't. I mean, that's. But it doesn't matter. <laughs> but, but you know, yeah, I don't like, think that really has any bearing on this discussion, right? Yeah, maybe that's unlucky for them. Actually, I don't know. <laughs> maybe lucky they can sell him. I don't know. Um, but you know, like you, you have to know coming into a season when Afcon is a thing that that you're you're going to be without those players. Like Liverpool knew they were going to be without Mane and Salah, and and they just had to prepare for it. Like, well, you know, know, at least Liverpool didn't know. lie about them. They didn't, they didn't, but they should have. <laughs> you know, like in in years past, you know, Chelsea Chelsea would lose, you know, a Drogba and Essien and and John Obi Mikel and you know other less important players to Afcon, and they, they would have they would be prepared for it. Like, you know, I I just don't understand how Arsenal's like, oh shit. I didn't realize those guys were all going. Poor like, widow, poor widow oh. Arsenal with their meager resources. What are they supposed to do? You know. Yeah, and like, I think it's just you know not to not blame Arsenal because fuck Arsenal, but like the league has handled this just so inconsistently and so badly across the board. Like it's a, it was a standard that was initially set up like you said. Like, okay, is there a pandemic? that we don't want to spread to other people. Our team is having to close down their training ground to avoid the spread of this pandemic. Like, yes, they shouldn't have to play, but like as a result of COVID, it's like, well, now your squad is just a little thinner than it should be. And like guys are getting run into the ground and people are having more injuries. And like, yeah, that's kind of COVID's fault too. And, you know, I think they opened a can of worms once they started acknowledging what, what playing in a global pandemic meant for the overall health and fitness of a squad and, you know, started canceling games and then realized, oh shit, we're going to have to just keep canceling games forever. Um, and seemed like they were going to stop doing that. Um, and then, you know, once we got out of the Christmas period, they were like, I guess we can cancel a game here and there. I mean, Burnley like hasn't played in like six months. It feels like, um, Burnley yeah, hasn't played now, in six years, but that doesn't mean they... Well, <laughs> you know, and now, of course, like after this Arsenal fiasco, they're like, oh, we're reevaluating what our standards are. And it's just like, you have no idea what you're doing. This is like the fucking third year of this thing. Like, figure your shit out. Again, we've... I've heard Nathan talk about this on the Extra Inch where it's like, you know, again, like, is it, should we be playing these games at all? Should we be playing as many of these games? And again, if we're going to do it, there's a level at which it's like, you just got to have a standard. And like in Spain, for instance, it's like, do you have 13 healthy players? Are five of them first teamers? Then fuck it, you're playing. Like, you got to use youth players. You got to use youth players. They haven't canceled a That's single That's what they're game. there for. Yeah, well, you know what? Like, I know, again, like, I I understand. It's, what's that? It's that, like, Estoyas Capitalismo meme or whatever it is from the internet. But like, there is a point to like, you have youth players. They're part of your team, like your club. You know, like, if you're not shutting down your training ground and, like, having to, you know, like, literally stop players from coming in and training to stop the spread of disease, like, they were forcing us to do because of our European matches, like, you know, if you don't have to do that, then, like, yeah, you got you to gotta run a youth. I mean, they made Leeds do it, you know. It's like... I mean, they, they made us play when we had all of our Argentines quarantined from international travel. Like, how is that any different than the African Cup of Nations, like, leaving you shorthanded? Except like, except the African Cup of Nations went, you could plan for that a lot better than what we had to. Like, yeah, I mean, it's fucking stupid. It's just, it's, like, it's, it's, again, it's one of those things that I'm a little, like, I understand that, like, probably Spurs would have done something similar if we were in a similar situation. But the fact of the matter is Arsenal did it. It fucked with us. 
and it's just it's annoying, especially the way that they're being so they were being so condescending about art about Liverpool doing it, which they were absolutely right to be sort of angry about that. And now they're just turning around and doing the exact same thing themselves. And they're still sitting on their high horse about it, which is like, you know, I suppose I should be grateful for reminding me exactly how obnoxious Arsenal fans are, you know, which has been yeah, like, or a nice refresher that I sometimes can forget about. It's easy to forget that like, you know, when you play Chelsea and like it goes badly, you think you hate Chelsea more. When you see Liverpool do their bullshit, you feel like you hate Liverpool more. But like Arsenal is always so quick to remind everyone that like they're the fucking worst at every opportunity, just when you forget that they're the fucking worst. You know, and all that said, I think, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I do think having the weekend off was very good for us. Yes. I don't think a North London derby in the wake of those Chelsea matches would have been a great moment. I think we all could have used a break, fans and players alike. And I think it definitely helped us get right for this. And so Arsenal have the dual ignominy of being fucking whiny little baby shitheads and also now being responsible for like one of my happiest memories as a Spurs fan in quite some time. So thank you, Arsenal. We hate you. Yep. No, I, 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 go ahead, Brian. No, I was just going to say, I mean, I, you know, we, we've joked all, you know, the last couple months about how postponements are actually good for us. And this was good for us, not just in the long term, but in the short term as well. And so I, it's, it's, it's been good. Yeah. So I, I can't think of a better note to end it on than hating on Arsenal. So I think we're going to wrap it up there. We play Chelsea next weekend. I, I, I predict pain. Do you guys have any different predictions? I mean, after this, the pendulum has swung, and now, now I feel confident we can beat anybody again. Yeah, I mean, we've had two matches worth of practice against them. Now, now we can put the real plan into place. I mean, in a weird way, if we were going to win a match against them with the way the year's been going, I'd pick this one. So, I mean, look, it's it's an important match because at this point we are eight behind them and we have four matches in hand over them. And then if we, if we win or even if we draw, we're suddenly in really good position to potentially overtake them. But like, like a win closes that gap to five points with three games in hand and four games in hand still. Oh yeah. Have Sorry. Yeah. Another game. I'm not, yep. I'm not, I'm not going to math. <laughs> So five points. This is why we need Kaylee back on this podcast. Yeah, he's really good at the the analytics part with like counting and stuff, (laughs) addition, (laughs) subtraction, um, like that. That makes it a feasible gap. Like, like I'm not I'm not saying that I I expect us to get third or that I you know I'm, I'm very confident about that. But like a win or good result makes this not unreasonable we just need to keep racking up points baby <laughs> like it's it's going well despite how the last few weeks felt it's going pretty I mean, well we're one point behind west ham out of fourth with three games in hand over them we're a point ahead of arsenal with one game in hand over them like four and one of like our if... games in hand is like against them right you know like it really it really feels like Top four, maybe top three is there, which, you know, if you had told me that under Nuno. 
You told me that on a contest starting. I wouldn't have thought it was that feasible, but God bless. I mean, you know, long live Antonio Conte. It's 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 very good. It's very good shit. Ben, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Comrade Spurs. Brian, where can people find you on the internet? You can also find me on Twitter at Brian underscore Ashlock. That is Brian with a Y. You can find our uh, podcast at WDR Podcast. Uh, that's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. And you can find me on Twitter at Skipjack0079. Don't forget to leave us some nice five-star reviews. And, uh, you know, tell us tell us how much you love Stephen Bergvine on those reviews. So, yeah. Uh, for Ben, for Brian, for Brett Rainbow, and, of course, for Stephen Bergvine, I've been your host, Greg. Come on, you Spurs. <laughs>